From 1944 to 1945, the 52nd Lowland Division is fighting its way across Northwest Europe. The writing is on the wall, but it's also on the page. The Army Education Branch sends a newsletter out to thousands of men, all pulling together, pushing the enemy back. This newsletter is called The Lowlander. Hello, Marin. Hello, hello. We are back again looking at editions of The Lowlander that were sent out between the 8th and 14th of January 1945. Yes, uh, the men of the 52nd Lowland Division would have been reading this daily newsletter every day as they make their way across Northwest Europe. Our job is to fit through each edition. It's one piece of double-sided paper to pick out our favourite articles and generally work out what they're saying and why. Uh, so what's happening this week, Marin? This is the second week in January 1945, so what's going on? We've got In the Far East, we've got a Battle of Besang Pass, begins just north of Manila. Closer to home, the Red Army begins the Vistula Oda Offensive. Of course, we've got the British Second Army is about to launch itself into Operation Blackcock, and I know we're going to get to that soon. In Norway, Operation Woodlark, members of the Norwegian Independent Company blew up a railway bridge this week in Snesa, and a military troop train that wasn't aware of the sabotage derailed and uh, crashed into the river below, killing about 80 people. It's still one of the most deadly railway accidents in the whole history of Norway. On a lighter note, do you want to tell us where the jocks are this week and what the 52nd Lowland Division is getting up to, please? Yep, definitely. You know I always want to. Yes, I um, do. Well, it's all changed this week. So for the last... Uh... Well, really, since middle of December, they've been holding that line in the southern part of the Roar Triangle from about Sittard through to um, just north of Gailingkirken. This week, it's all changed because they start to pull out of the line. The 43rd Wessex Division take over their positions and they move into a holding uh, area just south of Sittard in the Netherlands to start preparing for what's going to be called Operation Blackcock, which is the um, capture of the Roar Triangle. And on the 10th of January, a memorial service was held near Brunson uh, for the men that were killed in the main accident, which we mentioned last week. So the General Officer Commanding of the 52nd Lowland, Major General Edmund Hickwell-Smith, he was in attendance, as well as the representatives from 155 Infantry Brigade, the 4th Battalion, the King's Own Scottish Borders, and the Royal Engineers that were killed in that accident. Um, but the rest of the week, they are really preparing for Operation Blackcock. And in fact, in some of the war diaries, they're mentioning about training with kangaroos, which are a armoured personnel carrier, which used to be uh, Shermans that had their uh, turrets taken off. Um, and lots and lots of preparation in terms of orders and reconnaissance and all that sort of stuff. Well, it sounds like we're making progress then. Um, shall we get started with the first edition of The Lowlander this week? I think that's a good idea. So do I. Monday, 8th of January. One road back. From a hundred slopes in the Ardennes, there rises tonight the glow of bonfires lit by our troops for protection against the cold and snow. The scene, says one correspondent, resembles a gigantic gypsy encampment. But our men are in great heart. Along practically the whole length of the enemy's northern flank, we've pressed on from one to three miles. The American First Army, which German propaganda wrote off as a fighting force a fortnight ago, has recovered from its annihilation to cut the main road from Saint-Vith to La Roche. 
Von Rundstedt has now only one road to supply or evacuate his troops still fighting tenaciously at the tip of the salient. That road, running through Hufalis, is already under fire from 3rd Army guns, and at its narrowest point, the corridor is a bare 12 miles wide. Speaking to a press conference yesterday, Field Marshal Montgomery gave high praise to the American troops who stood up to the first onslaught. And this is what he said about the Supreme Commander. We are all members of a great team, and he is the captain. I am absolutely devoted to Ike. I'm sure there's a song in that somewhere. I'm hopelessly <laughs> <is>, devoted. <laughs> I'm hopelessly devoted to I. But that kind of goes against the grain, really, because a, a lot of the reports, if, unless I've got this wrong, a lot of the reports were that he had a, a certain amount of antipathy for Eisenhower. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's true. I don't yeah. know. I think there's yeah. a lot of nonsense. I think he was definitely tricky to work with, but I think he believed in what Ike was doing, I think. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm wrong. What's interesting is on the on the 7th, 8th of January, around that time, Hitler actually gave the order to to start pulling back, which is rather unusual for Adolf Hitler, mainly mm. because there was a, a feeling that the, the German armies were going to get encircled and then cut off and, and destroyed in place. So um, clearly the pressure that Americans have been building throughout January after yeah. the initial assault on the Battle of the Bulge was Had starting to, to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eighth of January. Any complaints? Grousing is a soldier's privilege. Hitherto, our readers have been merciful and few complaints have found their way into our mailbag. Two, however, received recently, we thought worth repeating and they're published below. We're just going to read one. Sir, can you find space to draw attention to a point that's causing me some anxiety? I refer to the habit of some members of the division in emphasising the differences between Scotland and England to the detriment of the latter country. As numerous personnel are billeted amongst civilians and few are fluent linguists, the subtle difference between irony and truth is lost and an entirely incorrect impression that might easily percolate to enemy ears and form a basis for hostile propaganda is created. Although long domiciled in England, I am justly proud of the fact that one of my ancestors was the last man to be hanged in Inverness for sheep stealing. Sergeant Stuart Robertson. Well, he seems like fun. <laughs> it does, doesn't he? I mean, I, well, I'm, it's funny. One of the reasons why I picked this um, letter is actually I've seen some of the propaganda leaflets dropped. Yeah. On the fifty-second Lone Division at this time, in fact, when they were on the uh, in around trip track. None of it mentions the difference between Scotland and England. <laughs> so he's got himself in a pickle. And, and actually, I was—I did have a look on the and some court records as well. I can't find the last person to be hanged in Inverness for uh, sheep stealing, which is uh, very disappointing. However, the last person to be hanged in Scotland was actually yeah. in uh, 1963. Yeah. And it was Henry John Burnett. Ah, okay. So so I had a little look as well. And like you, I couldn't find the last person hung for sheep stealing. But I, but I could find two men. Um, and one, one was from Perth, which you might count as Inverness, and that was William Crichton. And the other one was a guy oh, called... Well, oh, you've just dropped a clanger there. Perth right. and Inverness are not the same thing. But carry on. I'll let, I'll let, I'll let our listeners uh, remind you of that. And the other one was James Ritchie in 1818, and he was from Aberdeen. Yeah, well, the, the Henry Burnett was actually the last person to be hanged in Scotland and the, the first person to be hanged in Edinburgh mm. since uh, 1891. Ah. So there go, there's some hanging stuff. 
I'll tell you what, there's, um, we could follow that up because on June the 12th, there's a response to this. Okay, go on. Okay. Sir, I observed that the age-old controversy of England versus Scotland has crept into your journal. Though born, bred and buttered in England, I think I can lay claim to the rank of war substantive Scot. I have served in three Scottish divisions and spent a pleasant four years in exile north of the border. But I must agree with your correspondent who deprecates any comparison between Scottish and English troops. I am very proud of belonging to a Scottish unit with our traditions, and I am certain any Scot would be equally proud to serve with a famous English unit should he be so posted. Sergeant Anti Hun. <laughs> no. I'm saying if he served in three Scottish divisions, that might tell him that the Scottish divisions don't particularly like him and they keep moving along. (laughs) It's a good point, though, actually. And we should, I think next week, um, we're going to talk a little bit more detail about the 52nd and how it's broken down into the different units. But I mean, just in the infantry battalions alone, although they're all Scottish regiments and they're all from the loans of Scotland, um, by 1944-45, it's people from all over England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, um, and the Dominions Empire and all the rest of it. And we've even got Norwegians in the 52nd Lowland Division up until the summer of 1944. So mm-hmm. um, they're right. And of course, the thing is, when you join a Scottish battalion, you wear the tartan trues or the kilt, depending on which battalion you're in. You have the tam shanter you've got the pipe bands. You haven't got a choice whether you want to be part of it or not. Um, and, of course, there's lots of Scots in the, in the other battalions as well. But also there's units like the Seven Manchesters, which are the machine gun uh, battalion for the division. Um, and there's other various different units from all over the country. So, yeah, I don't think it's too much of an issue. And also the most the most um, famous combination, of course, is is Peter White. Exactly, from South Africa. And within his platoon, and, and maybe we'll talk more about Peter as we go through the year, uh, of the 20 people that were killed in his platoon, half of them aren't from Scotland. Indeed. January 9th, 1945. Can you believe your ears? This is what the BBC said last night. In the Arden battle, men of the Glasgow Highlanders holding a village and surrounding woods nearby recently defeated a German attack. Although surrounded, they held on until relieved by tanks. The commander received a message from the enemy that if he continued to resist, 50 British prisoners would be shot. He replied, we hold 25 Germans. Later, the British prisoners were rescued. Don't write and tell us what's wrong with this report. We know. Now, go on then. Can you tell me what's wrong with this report? No, no, you tell me, you tell me. Well, of course, the Glasgow Highlanders were not in the Ardennes battle, not the the first battalion of Glasgow Highlanders, which were in the fifty second load. But if you remember back to two episodes ago, yeah, they are the guys that held on in Triptrat under a, a pretty severe German counterattack. And typical journalists have got hold of it, and they've got it completely wrong. They're not in the Ardennes; they are just north of Gylingkirken in a village called Triptrat. This is this is the um, Highland Light Infantry. No. Oh, yes. Well, they are. Yes. So I should point out again, I, I did mention it before. The 1st Battalion, the Glasgow Highlanders, are a, are a set, separate battalion in their own right, but they are uh, part of the Highland Light Infantry, which is, I know, very confusing. Good old standards of British journalism, eh? Yes. Excellent. 9th of January, 1945. News from Scotland. At long last, the news item for which so many have waited for so long. 
For the first time in four years, the towns and villages of Speyside will resound with the busy hum of the distilleries. Every week, 250,000 gallons of whiskey will flow from 30 reopened plants and into a vast number of thirsty throats. There's a shortage of workers, and even managers and clerks have to take a hand as labourers. For servicemen on leave from overseas, Mr Duncan MacLeod is offering a bottle of pre-war whisky or gin at the Bath Hotel in Glasgow for 21 shillings. No increase of special leave trains to Glasgow has yet been announced. Now then, now then, now then, hang on a second, hang on a second. Let's not descend into... Tropes about Scottish people and drinking, but carry on. No, no, no. This follows up the very next day, right, 10th of January. News spreads quickly. On the first day, 400 servicemen presented themselves at the Glasgow Hotel offering reduced (laughs) price whiskey. (laughs) I don't know if Mr Duncan MacLeod is a genius or an idiot. (laughs) We'll have to find out how much uh, 21 shillings is. It sounds like quite a lot. It does. Bearing in mind that the, the the working wage is only about four pounds a week. Yeah, yeah. So that is quite a lot. But I mean, I suppose if you haven't had whiskey uh, for a long gin, time, for a long time. <laughs> January twelfth, nineteen forty-five, nearer Mandalay. In Burma, our troops have now completed the occupation of Shwebo and have pushed beyond it to the south. They are now only about 40 miles from the great prize of Mandalay. Superfortresses from India yesterday attacked Japanese installations in Malaya. The enemy says that Singapore was amongst the targets. I like these little ones because yeah. the, the, the whole of the Lowlander is full of just short updates from everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, tiny little updates. And in fact, th- that battle is quite a big battle. In fact, it's a major battle really being fought. Um, really advancing on Mandalay, and it was the um, the British Second uh, Division and the Indian Nineteenth Division that has actually cleared Swebo that week, and then they're really pushing on the the east banks of the Chinwin before they they launch their attack on Mandalay later on in the year. So it's mm-hmm. a nice little nice little chunk of little section of news just to keep you updated on what the the British Army and the Indian Army are doing in Burma. Yeah, on the same page, we've also got a a short um, paragraph on the Luzon advance, Manila, and um, there's an update about Greece, and there's also an update about getting your votes in by post. Well, that's a very (laughs) very relevant thing nowadays, considering (laughs) the way voting restrictions are. But yeah, I mean, it's just it just gives you a really good idea that you know, in the middle of January. You yeah. sat in your uh, your your slit trench or or in your in your little billet somewhere, mm. and you're reading about stuff that's going on around the world. So it's keeping you informed. So it's a really good example of that kind of information. Oberleutnant, Oberleutnant, we have a wichtige important message. The Schottische troops abgefangen. Was haben die schottische Bastarde jetzt vor? There will be a battlefield tour to Germany and the Netherlands in October 2024. Hmm. They will look at the 52nd London Division und Peter White and his jocks. And you can find out details at www.walkingwiththejocks.co.uk Gott und Himmel! 
Gibt es noch etwas? Na, wir haben auch eine Nachricht über die Big Boobies, aber glaub nicht, dass sie wichtig ist. Oh! 13th of January, 1945. News from Scotland and England. Glasgow knows the answer now. Lemons were on sale there yesterday for the first time in a year. <laughs> Go on, what's this about? Well, they'd obviously got a batch of lemons from somewhere. <laughs> from somewhere. <laughs> I don't think what condition they're in. And put them, put them on sale. So the, uh, lemons and bananas went on the ration, I think, in 1942. Yeah. And clearly, <laughs> this is the information everybody has been waiting for. The update about lemons. Although, of course, you could make some stereotypical joke about Scottish people not being particularly healthy, but I should imagine by 1945, a lemon is probably high up on your list of things you'd like to get hold of, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I think the, guy, the guys buying all the whiskey wouldn't mind too much. Oh, yeah, what, what, I do, what I do love about this, though, it's now sitting on a page where it's not just news from Scotland, it's news from Scotland and England. Well, obviously, taking heed of the complaints about Scotland, Scotland and England, you can tell they're actually playing a little bit, uh, playing a little bit with the audience there. But yeah, so I mean, the good news is lemons were on sale yesterday. I should imagine yeah. they were sold out. Who knows when Glasgow will get lemons? Um, it's only a matter of time before they batter it and deep fry it anyway. Tenth of January, Private G. Smith was sentenced to death by an American court-martial yesterday for the murder of Sir Eric Teichman, the distinguished diplomat who was found shot at his Norfolk home. That's got to be big news for um, for anywhere, but let alone Norfolk. Yeah, I know. Well, as people possibly know, I am from Norfolk. Um, th this is Eric Teichman. Have you heard of Eric Teichman? Never heard of Eric Teichman, no. Okay, well, pull up your, your own personalised sandbag then, because here we go. Um, Teichman was one of British diplomacy's dashing characters. That's how he gets um, described a lot. Flamboyantly enigmatic, an explorer come special agent, an orientalist. Mm -hmm. He was a travel writer and he was serving um, as an advisor to the British Embassy at Chungking. He was in the Royal Army Medical Corps. He was mentioned in dispatches and wounded a couple of times in the First World War, served in Egypt, Palestine, Italy, won the Croce di Guerra. Is that what it's called? The Cross the Croix de Guerre. Um, that's it. That's the one. Um, he also wrote a lovely book called The Travels of a Consular Officer in Northwest China. And he was a real dab hand with a photographer. He walked miles and miles and miles taking photographs everywhere he went. In fact, he was, he was a bit like a Rory Stewart of his day. Okay. Right. Um, very good family man. Sadly lost both his boys in the Second World War. Oh, his God. first son was killed in North Africa in 42, and his second son was killed um, in Normandy in 44. He came back to Britain, to Norfolk, to a little village called Honningham, which is to the northwest of Norwich. Um, big Jacobean house, which he turned into a Bernardo's home for youngsters. But he was out and about late one evening, unarmed, just having a you know a stroll around the grounds, and he thought he'd come across a poacher. It wasn't a poacher, it was two lads from RAF Attlebridge, Private George Smith of Pittsburgh, and Private Leonard Vipacha of Detroit. They were trespassing, they were both armed with an M1 carbine, and Smith shot Tykeman through the head. Now, Smith and Vipacha were both court-martialed at Attlebridge, and this was under the Visiting Forces Act, where Americans were, were, they were sort of free to try, imprison or condemn anyone 
um, independent of the British justice system. There was no difference whatsoever. Murder was a capital crime. um, Vipacha, who hadn't fired his gun, received a prison sentence, but Smith Mm -hmm. got the death penalty. Now, he was taken to Shepton Mallet for a, a mandatory review of his case, and if clemency was refused, then he would be executed. Teichmann's wife made an appeal, which was refuted, and he was then executed by Tom Pierpoint, Albert's uncle. Oh, he was yes, it's he a family was, business. <laughs> it's a family business. Um, he was executed. I mean, there's a period of time between sentencing and carrying out, and while everyone else was celebrating, Smith was hanged on VE Day, and oh, he God. is now yeah he is now buried in Plot E in the American Cemetery at Wazane. I can't ever pronounce this properly. Yeah, I'm sure it is Wazane. Don't ask me. Yeah. It's, um, so plot E is the fifth plot at the American Cemetery there. Mm-hmm. It's away from the main section. And it currently holds 94 American military prisoners who were shot or hanged for crimes in the Second World War, rape and murder or both. Ah. Um, the, the individuals in question were originally buried near where the crime or the trial happened, more or less. But then plot E was created. And because this is death with dishonor, there's no American flag. There are no headstones. Um, the, the the graves are sort of relatively unmarked and they actually face away from the rest of the cemetery. Uh, the, the only chap who is no longer there but was first interred there was um, a chap called Eddie Slovic. Yes. Who, yes, who was executed um, for desertion and his remains were returned to the US in 1987 when Reagan granted a petition for his exhumation, well, which is well, really of course. Sad. Of course, Eddie Slovak, that's the one that most people know. Yeah, he was yeah. Um, executed for desertion and in inverted commas during, uh, and of course that was around the Battle of the Bulge, so which we've just been talking about. Absolutely. Um, Did you know, here's my bumper fact, it's mm-hmm. a gruesome fact, that the US military executed 160 American servicemen between 1942 and 1961? No, I didn't. That's my bumper fact for the day. It's a grim fact, on which we shall move on to the next Part of the Lowlander. I think we better had. And finally, we go to this week's thought for the day on the 8th of January, 1945. So nigh is the grandeur to our dust. Snare is God to man. When duty whispers low, thou must. The youth replies, I can. Emerson. Oh, what's he going on about, Merrin? So this is Ralph Waldo Emerson, philosopher, poet, writer, and transcendentalist thinker. And this is the poem Voluntaries. He wrote it in the autumn of 1863, and it was the tribute to everyone who was prepared to sacrifice everything for the sake yeah. of the Union. Yeah, uh, and he was, um, that's of course the Union, because he was, he was actually acting as a nurse or a medic in the yeah. um, American Civil War on the Union side. That's right, yeah. And the, the the last four lines, the ones you just read, um, they're the most famous out of the poem. It's not a very long poem, um, but they're the ones that get inscribed on veterans' memorials around the country. But I, I don't think that's the best um, thought for the day this, well, this week. i tell you what, let's try this one for size. This was on the uh, 13th of January, 1945. Mm-hmm. An immense sympathy for the sufferings of the infantry, an immense admiration for the dogged perseverance in their never-ending task is felt by all those whose business it is to assist them from the air. So Walter Raleigh. Now, what kind of assistance is coming to people from the air at the time of Sir Walter Raleigh? I'm just trying to think. Walter Raleigh is what, the, 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 the 16th century? Yes. Leonardo da Vinci had 
uh, drawn some flying machines, maybe it's them. <laughs> I no? think that's between your luck. I'm going to say maybe God. I mean, I still don't understand what he's going on about. Go on. In that case, or with both of those in mind, I think this week we should run a poll on Twitter. It's the poll we've all been waiting for. Which thought for the day has most impact for the men, do you reckon? Is it Ralph or Waldo Emerson or is it Walter Raleigh? Oh, I mean, it's it really is Clash of the Titans, isn't it? <laughs> it is. On that note, I think we'd better call it a day, don't you? Yeah, I think we've had enough. All right. I'll see you next week. All right, then. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lowlander. The Lowlander was written, produced and presented by Andy Aitchison and Merrin Walters. This was a hellish good production. And now we go to the classified football results for the week commencing the 8th of January 1945. League Cup qualifying competition. Aberanum 3, Bath City 4. Accrington 2, Preston North End 1. Aston Villa 6, West Bromwich Albion 2. Barnsley 5, Leeds 0. Blackburn 3, Rochdale 2. Blackburn 4, Burnley 0. Bolton 1, Everton 3. Bradford City 2, Hull City 1. Bristol City 3, Swansea 1. Cardiff 3, Lovells 0. Coventry 1, Birmingham 2. Darlington 3, Sunderland 2. Derby 3, Nottingham Forest 0. Hartlepool 1, Gateshead 1. Huddersfield 2, Manchester United 2. Leicester 8, Mansfield 3. Lincoln 1, Doncaster 3. Liverpool 4, Stockport 1. Manchester City 2, Halifax 3. Middlesbrough 5, Newcastle 3. Notts County 1, Chester 3. Oldham 2, Bury 0. Port Vale 0, Chester 2. Rotherham 1, Sheffield United 4. Sheffield Wednesday 2, Grimsby 2. Tranmere 0, Southport 3. Walsall 0, Northampton 1. Wolverhampton 3, Crewe 1. Wrexham 2, Stoke 1. English League South. Aldershot 0, Brentford 1. Arsenal 4, Millwall 1 Charlton 1, Tottenham 2 Clapton Orient 2, Chelsea 6 Fulham 0, Watford 2 Queen's Park Rangers 5, Reading 1 Southampton 2, Portsmouth 4 West Ham 5, Brighton 4 Scottish League South Albion 2, Hamilton 2 Clyde 0, Rangers 2 Hibernian 3, Falkirk 0 Morton 5, Hearts 1 Motherwell 5, Erdionians 1 Partick 0, 
Celtic 3, Queen's Park 2, Dumbarton 0, St Mirren 0, Third Larnock 0, Scottish League North East, Dundee United 5, Wraith 2, Falkirk 8, Arbuth 2, Hearts 5, Dundee 3, Rangers 3, East 5 0. Other matches Anti Aircraft Command 3, South East Command 6, London District 7, East Command 6. And all is well with the football. Do you know if the lads actually sat and read these scores out to each other? Don't ask me that question, Merlin, because we don't know. <laughs> okay, alright, alright, alright.